again, everybody. Welcome to the Two Half Squads, or welcome back, I should say, to the Two Half Squads. And we want to thank you for even coming back to our pathetic podcast that we promised to improve. Today is March 6, 2008, and this is Episode 2. Episode 2. This is the very big. We should have a party. Second episode. <laughs> Any excuse for a party, <laughs> that's, right. that's right. And we've already got a couple of cold beverages uh, going, so the party's already begun. So, and yeah, it's, it's great that uh, we had a great time last episode, I would say. I think so. A little nerve-wracking getting the echo and all that stuff worked out. We think we've got a fix for this show. And um, last week we covered who we are, so um, that's Jeff over there. And that's Dave over there, and we're the same guys that were here last time. The two half squads. The two half squads. And last week we covered, or a couple of weeks ago we covered who we are, so we won't bore you with that again, and what ASL is. So from here on out you'll have to, we'll assume you know a little bit about the game. You can look it up online. Uh, so I guess our first segment will be news. Jeff has a very important announcement. Earth-shaking news happening <laughs> while we speak. Wow, do I? <laughs> yes, do you remember what it was? No, maybe you can remind me. Has, has there been, are, the, are the postmen all scurrying around the planet Earth carrying very important packages <clears throat> to various oh. squad leader players while we speak? That's right. That's right. Oh, yes, very important. Uh, Valor of the Guards is, has been shipping by Multiman Publishing. And that's uh, a lot of people have been waiting a long time. Dave, you, I hope you haven't been holding your breath for that one. But for those people that have, you can breathe easy because it is now shipping. You ha- you've actually seen it. Is that right, Dave? I, I, yes, I have actually seen it. It does exist. It's not a myth. Um, our friend Joe, who I guess we won't mention last names on the show. Um, I don't want stalkers or anything. <laughs> A lot of squad leader stalkers out yeah. there. Snipers. Um, Snipers are really what I'm worried about. Joe had put out an email to uh, one of our listings, uh, Yahoo. Yes. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's happening. They've pulled it off pre-order, and that means they're going to ship it soon. And someone had responded, I don't know who, uh, yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. You know, we're, we're all used to the typical Avalon Hill pacing of releasing games and it was my understanding that Avalon Hill, back when they controlled the product and not Multiman Publishing, that they were a division of Monarch Publishing or something. So I was told by someone um, who ran a game shop that they had to wait to print until there were breaks in this other company's printing cycles. And so it would account for some of the delay. And of course, putting together a game like this has got to be a huge effort. Tons of things could go wrong and um, graphics to be worked out on the counters, boards, and the whole thing. Um, And so Joe said, no, it's shipping, and it's going to be out quick. And weeks later, I emailed him and said, uh, as a joke, and said, hey, I got mine today, assuming that he hadn't. Oh, you are cruel, Dave. (laughs) I know. I know. And uh, he came back with, um, yeah, I got mine too or something, you know. Oh. And so I'm like, okay, now he's pulling my leg. (laughs) And uh, so, sure enough, we went over there to play last week, and there sat Valor of the Guards. Um, got to look at the map board. It's huge, as usual. It's a companion game to go along with um, Red Barricades. Okay, so Valor of the Guards. That's I, I think we touched on this last time. Valor of the Guards uh, uh, covers the war, Eastern Front, the war in, in Russia. 
Stalingrad. In Stalingrad specifically, right. Yeah, so, well, that's that's pretty big news. I, and I'm sorry, did you say you got yours? No, uh, I always am at the rear end of the mailing list either. Uh, Joe seems to think it's if you pre-order early or late as to when you're going to be mailed it or It'll be mailed to you early or late. I'm wondering if they just do it by zip code because someone else, another player named Bob, who uh, lives right by me, hasn't received his either, but he may have ordered it late also. So I don't know how they decide that thing. But any day now, but it's been, you know, it takes weeks to get this out. It's a small company. It must be very small. <laughs> very small indeed. Yeah, I think I could get them all shipped out by myself in a week. I don't, you know, <laughs> it's kind of hard to imagine. 500 copies, but you know, yeah. I mean, maybe they sold 1,000. Uh, maybe they did, but I think that would be, you know, it'd be very interesting for a future episode if we could get somebody from Multiman Publishing on to talk to. And we do have um, somebody in our our Yahoo group uh, who lives in Michigan now, who's in the printing business, and uh, he'd be very interesting to talk to because we could learn some of the ins and outs of why this takes so long for them to do this and why there are things that go out of print in this day and age of computer printing and, you know instant access to things. Uh, it does make me wonder why why there are still modules that are not available. Yes, yes, that is true. Like, um, I, I would love to have the Kota um, uh, Bushido, yes. but it just can't be, can't be had for any right. reasonable price. Yeah, the Japanese module, which if anyone out there has an extra copy, wants to mail that to us, uh, I promise I won't sell it on eBay. Jeff will keep it and, and play with it and use it. Um, and the, speaking of numbers, uh, listening to last week's show, I noticed you had said, you know, Squabbler has so many players that play the game. And I thought, well, not really. I mean, probably not, not like Monopoly or something. So the question became, how many squad leader players are there in the world? Uh, if you're listening to this and you're a squad leader player, please stand up. <laughs> <laughs> and we will count you right now. Raise your hand all the way up. You in the back there. Don't oh, be shy. No, you were just scratching your head. Okay, put your hand down then. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I don't know, Dave. It's um, I, I got to think, I'm going to take a wild guess here. And I don't know, who could confirm this, first of all, other than the all-knowing, all-being master of the universe? I MMP? Can't, I can't remember his name. God? <laughs> I can't remember his name. I'm wondering if MMP could give us some sort of estimate perhaps yeah. if you can go online and look at the pre-orders for Valor I think it was up into the th off, okay often those games need like a thousand pre-orders 800 pre-orders before they'll print those games and then get them out and they do reach those numbers right um, I don't know if people are double ordering them hoping to sell them later on for a higher price probably not um, and is that worldwide or is that just the United States yeah that's a good question I don't yeah, know. Cause I know there were foreign players. Obviously, the, the fanzine tactics, and uh, you know, I had sold some stuff on eBay to, in, to to a guy in Spain, and so on. So, well, take a wild guess. How many how many people do you think? I don't know. I guess if you do a a tournament in Chicago, the ASL Open. You, I remember they had 100 players once when I had gone there a few years back. Um, those people all seem to be from close by, or perhaps. A uh, few states away, maybe one or two, three, four will fly in from somewhere. So if you know if there's that many that can get to the tournament, there's probably I'd say you know three others that play that can't get there. Right. Um, then of all those that play, the question becomes how many of them actually own the game. 
because you know in my in my gaming club uh, PAASL um, I had played with lots of friends who never owned the game they kept just using mine so that's a lot more players yeah that's right now in in our in the uh, Yahoo group that we have for the Chicago greater Chicago area mm-hmm. squad leader players we have 70 members hmm. and so and I think we probably have a pretty good a, a pretty good percentage of all of the squad le- active squad leader players in the Chicago area. So I would say there, if I had to guess, I'd say there have to be a thousand players in the United States. I would double it. Two thousand. Yeah. If there's seven. Notice how quickly I did area. that math. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> took what the th- top three biggest cities. <laughs> I, I you know and major cities multiplied by. I can't be a lot of players yeah. out in Missouri or. In yeah. Planes or something, but let's not insult anybody now. No, uh, not that would be a lower intelligence, just uh, yes. fewer opponents to play yeah. and less access to to acquire this stuff. However, sometimes more free time when you're not living in a big city, sometimes people become more creative in those situations. Right, and the, the fact in these kind of hobbies, and the, the fact that they can play on uh, using the Vassal module. Oh, uh, right. Yeah, which I've never done. Yeah i got to try that. So maybe we'll have a report on that in a future episode. Okay. Sounds anyway, if anybody has any information about about these kinds of numbers, we would really like to know. So yep. call us, email us, send us a candy gram if you like. But we'd like to have that information. <laughs> but not one of those teddy bears. What is the Virginia teddy bears? No, we want something edible. Yes. Let's do our top ten list now, Dave. Sounds good to me. I've got a top ten list. Uh, I've got the, the top ten reasons to start playing ASL. Let's hear them, Jeff. All right. I got the list right here. On his computer screen. He's oh. <laughs> I got it right here. It's like David Letterman. The top ten reasons. Number ten. Oh, yes. You're tired of being looked down upon because you don't play ASL. Number nine. You've heard only real men play ASL and you want to prove them wrong. (laughs) That would be true in my case. Number eight, ASL players are accepted at fine dining establishments everywhere. Number seven, you've heard Madonna and Prince play and are pretty darn good. (laughs) Now, if I can interrupt you for a second. Um, I have done some role playing in my day, and I found out that Vin Diesel was an avid role player. So let's see if Squad Leader has that claim to fame. It does have a claim to fame of a very famous baseball player. Oh, that's right. One of the one of the owners of Multi Man Publishing is a uh, I believe it's a man named Kurt Schilling. No offense, Kurt, but I'm not a huge baseball fan. Nor but I. I must admit, Kurt, if you're listening out there, uh, my father, not always a big fan of my gaming hobbies, but I would sure enough he loves baseball. Although he's a Car- Cardinals fan. And he, um, I did make a point to point out that when Kurt was playing in the World Series, I believe, um, I could say, hey, Dad, you know that guy in the World Series? He plays squad leader. <laughs> I wonder if that's listed on his baseball card. Statistics. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, yeah, my, I must admit my dad was kind of like, um, what? Really? 
he plays squad leader? <laughs> Surely he couldn't. He's a, he's a real person. <laughs> so, I'm sorry. Yeah. Can, no, where were we? Number... That's right. Uh, number six. Uh, number six for the top ten reasons to start playing ASL. Number six. The 327 other ASL players in the whole wide world can't be wrong. <laughs> Gets back to our earlier Number question. five. ASL tournaments smell pretty. <laughs> hey, okay, now they don't smell as bad as war gaming tournaments. All right, I promise you that. Congratulations, you ASL players. You are much better at bathing, all right, than some of these other war gamers. Uh, yeah, I would have to agree with that. Uh, number four, the idea of pitting man against man in gritty, gruesome, and ruthless battle to the death sounds like fun. <laughs> Even if it's just... <laughs> Little cardboard men, and <laughs> yeah. they don't get hurt. Uh, number three, you're ready to give up other silly indulgences such as family, religion, and health. <laughs> uh, number two, your mother-in-law will finally respect you. And the number one reason you should start playing ASL, Dave, the drum roll. You think you're a natural because you already roll dice every morning to decide boxers or briefs. <laughs> uh, I don't know about that one. A long way to go, Jeff, to get to that number one. Uh, nothing about you. You have nothing better to do with your money, like give it to the poor? Uh, yes, well, that's... Yeah, well... <laughs> or spend your time serving your fellow man <laughs> to serve men. Now, we, we did have uh, a submission. I actually posted this on our user group, and... Oh, somebody, did. yeah, somebody gave me a submission of, of some other reasons. Oh, um, how come I didn't get this one in my? Email? Uh, I don't know. I don't know why this. And this was back in uh, actually March of last year. So um, somehow I did not get this. Uh, this guy's reason to start playing ASL. He just finished reading the U.S. Income Tax Code, and he wanted something more challenging to read. <laughs> We have to credit this person. No way. Yeah, that's from uh, my friend Ben Clark. Who, oh, last uh, name, so Ben. Yeah. Ben. Uh, so yeah, not Ben Clark. I mean Ben Smith. <laughs> yeah, it's like, who's going to stalk Ben Clark? How many Ben Clarks are there? Too many. <laughs> uh, another reason, uh, just got the complete Star Trek The Next Generation on DVD and figured this way he could clip counters in front of the TV for the next five years. Now, that's a topic for a future show, clipping those counters. Yeah, that's right. That, that's I'm a good coming topic. up on my thousandth game, and I have yet to clip my counters, so I'm not quite sure what the a topic for another show. Keep going. Uh, another reason to start playing ASL, an Internet friend lured him into meeting in person. <laughs> now, that's another topic. <laughs> yeah. You... You know, face-to-face -face game, the benefits. The benefits of face-to-face. There are definitely benefits of face-to-face -face gaming. We And I feel a little sorry for those people that do have to play by Vassal or something because uh, yeah. it is a great, it's a great reason to get together with a bunch of other guys. And I, I, there may be advanced squad leader girls out there. We would like to know who they are. We would. Yeah. I know role-playing does get some, but they're yeah. rare there, too. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, get people away from the computer games. But That's right. Go ahead. That's right. Uh, another reason to start playing Squad Leader, the Puffing Billy Tournament. The, sorry, the Puffing Billy Tournament wasn't what you thought it would be. Now, I'm not sure what that means exactly. <laughs> don't know either, but 
Let's laugh anyway. Yeah. <laughs> That's an one. inside joke. Yes, Puffing yes, yes. Puffing Billy. Puff Marshmallow? It's possible. Okay. We'll have to ask Ben when we talk to him. And you know, I was at the Beanbag Tournament, an international tournament in France. The Beanbag Tournament? Yeah, in 79. It's terrible. Many people were killed. <laughs> W.C. Fields, sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> wow. Looks, looks better when he's yeah. Um, And he's got a couple of others that aren't... Uh, I'll edit those out because they're not that, not that funny. No offense, oh, Ben. No offense. No offense, Ben. We thank you for your contribution to the show. Ben Clark is a great guy. Actually, Ben Clark... Ben Smith. Uh, yeah, Ben Smith. When I, was, when I had first discovered gaming, and I didn't know anything about it, and this was like three years ago, I I found a I was I've been in computer business for some years so I found a forum and uh a local forum and I made some postings on there about gaming and how I had no idea what to do and what was going on and Ben Clark wrote and said hey if you ever want to meet at our local game store which is Games Plus in Mount Prospect oh, one of the finest gaming stores in the northern or southern hemisphere I don't want anyone to stalk Games Plus either um so it's uh, games yeah, uh, games minus. Games uh, minus. <laughs> and Ben and I met Ben there, and he was the first man that I met over the internet. <laughs> I think Games Plus should give us some money for these. I, I think they should. Maybe they maybe they'll want to sponsor our show. Um, and Ben met me there, and we played um, Panzer Leader, and uh, we've be, we've been friends ever since. And I've I meet him at. Uh, last year I met him at Gen Con. And last year was my first Gen Con, and we met there and had a few beers and played some games and had a great time. He's a, he's a great guy. Excellent, so. excellent. And I'm glad you found my house again. Yes, and I'm very glad to find Dave, and very glad at at your house, Dave. I met uh, Joe, who I play with every week now, yeah. who I'm playing Taro with, which I'll talk about in a little bit. So. All right, Great so people. that was your top ten list. Yeah. Mine is Let's a little hear your list top I found list. in the back of my rule book that I'm supposed to refer to often. And what happened was I had reread the rules at some point. Uh, what, every three years you're supposed to reread the rules? It's actually probably been a very long time for me at this point. But with, with kids mm-hmm. ages 11, 9, and going on 7, um, keep you very busy. So, uh, But I found a list I made of rules that I seem to have not have known. So I, I do recommend this to everybody. Read back through the rules and make a list as you read of, I didn't realize that, or, oh, I didn't realize that, or I've been doing that wrong. And mine just happens to be, don't know if this is helpful to anybody or not, but I hope it is. You can shoot at people who are bypassing a hex through the hex side if it's not blocked, just right through the hex side. Um, there's rec- You can recover... Recovery from a broken leader only has to roll a 1 to a 5 in the rally phase or the movement phase. Recovery from a broken, I'm sorry, squad, a leader to recover the weapon has to roll a dice. A 1 to 5 in the rally phase or movement phase. And there's no movement point cost for this. To recover a weapon? From a broken squad, Oh. a leader can move into the hex roll one to five, he can take the weapon from the broken squad. Otherwise, they don't want to give up their weapons. I see. Okay. You have to think of broken squads as one, always wanting to hold on to their weapons. Yeah. No other unit can you know, pick it up if it's not still possessed by a broken unit, but a leader can. 
If a unit surrenders, is eliminated, or routes, and leaves the weapon there, a leader can recover it on a die roll less than six, regardless of the phase that you're in. It doesn't have to be a rally phase. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, a, a wall or hedge, when you're firing on a wall or hedge, I don't know what I wrote there. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. <laughs> You'll have to um, decode that one and let us know. <laughs> broken units in melee are unable to withdraw. If they're unable to withdraw, they are eliminated at the end of the close combat for failure to route. Right. Somehow, I guess we were leaving them in the combat. So they're just eliminated for failure to route. And close combat ambushers may withdraw before or after they go into melee. Now, since then, I've, I've mastered that technique. Something that I played for a while, not just ambushers, just, you know, oh, they get a minus in combat, so fight. But they can withdraw. Oh, right. Next. Yes. Um, and light anti-tank weapons, if they're behind a wall, do they pay the penalty, desperation penalty? No, if they're in a building, they have to take a desperation penalty, right? An extra plus two to shoot and not hurt someone in their own hex. And we had played that. Um, that if they're behind the wall in a building hex, you, know, you take wall advantage instead of being actually in the building in the hex, that then you could shoot your Panzer files without taking the plus two modifier. Ah. Because you're not in a building, but guess what? You still have to pay it if you're in a hex with a building, even if you're behind the wall. So you won't gain anything, I don't believe, stepping out to the wall advantage. So. Anyway, here's a little sheet of paper. Oh, you, you cannot acquire a concealment counter. I guess I had played for years acquiring concealment counters. You can't see them, so you can't acquire them unless um, they're revealed or you're using area fire. There's a use for area fire for you. So That gets us to the favorite scenario. Jeff? In, in, in three years, you're going to reread the rules and make another list? Um, probably. Okay. I think I have an updated one somewhere else anyway, because those do go back several years. But I, again, I had played, you know, probably, you know, 50, 60 scenarios and had played all those things wrong, not knowing. But had fun anyway. That's right. That's the important thing. And you know them now. You know those things now. And so. Actually, yeah, rereading that list, most of those I do have to do. So. And to all those people out there who really know the rules very well, uh, sorry my, to waste your time. We're sorry to waste your time. My hats <laughs> off to you. I think it's, I think it's so cool when we play uh, with Bob. Should we call yeah. him? Let's call him Bob. Bob. And because, you know, that's his name. But um, <laughs> he knows the rules really well. Pretty well. I've corrected him like. Three times really? in, in what the eight games we've yeah. played, and that's not saying much. Yeah, it's it's pretty impressive to play with somebody that knows the rules, that seems that knows that seems to know the rules that well. And hopefully, and he he'll be a guest on our show, <coughs> and he'll give you some real good advice. Yeah, I think that would be great. Well, we will have out here. So, um, hopefully, we'll have guests on from all over the country because it's a miracle age we live in. But so. they have to pay their own airfare. That's right. <laughs> well, they could call in. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a miracle. Yeah. <laughs> it's a miracle. Uh, Jeff, let's go to the favorite scenario segment. Favorite scenario. wrap up here. Hold on, folks. We won't keep yep. you up too late. Tonight. That's right. Favorite <coughs> scenarios. And, and as I said uh, in the last show, what I'm going to do instead of doing favorite scenarios is I'm going to keep you up to date with ongoing 
uh, campaign game that I'm playing with Joe, as we like to call him Joe. And Joe and I are playing uh, Blood Reef, Tarawa. And um, we have spent a number of weeks in preparation. We play every Monday night. Uh, we get together, I usually get to his house at about 6.30. We play until 10 o'clock because any later than that, we turn into pumpkins. Have you fired a shot in anger yet? We <laughs> we finally... In the game? It finally, I, I think it took us four weeks of our gatherings to get everything set up. And I, I will say it took me quite a while because um, uh, I'm not the not the greatest one in the world for, for pre preparation so I would do all my work when I got there and um, you know with a week in between I had to kind of refresh myself where I left off and where I was going but there's quite a bit involved in the Tarawa campaigns we're going we're going right in and we're playing the big the big game on the full map and we're going to post pictures I've got some pictures we'll put those on the website so that it you can see insane, people. It's, it's, insane. it's a lot um, it's a very big map and there's a lot involved with um, with preparation as far as so you have to roll to to get the kinds of uh, to get leaders you get a certain number of leaders oh, that you can have but then you have to roll dice to see what value those leaders are okay which is very interesting and then um taro is divided into different beaches there's red beach one and red beach two and red beach three and then there's black beach on the other side of the island and for each of these and there's a green <coughs> beach yes and for each of these and the green beach they recycle a lot, don't they? Um, do a lot of recycling and <laughs> that took me a minute. <laughs> yeah, seen his face. Folks. Yeah, in Green Beach, there's a there's a huge stack of plastic bottles. <laughs> it's very hard for the Marines to get through. They, they drive. They have a speed limit of 55 <laughs> miles per hour. That's right. That's right. And they separate paper from plastic, which is really <laughs> different, colored, different colored bins. Now, on the other beaches, on black beaches, they kill baby seals and uh, and there all kinds of stuff. They, they burn tires. So, uh, no, but so on each of these beaches, I get a certain number of purchase points where I I can purchase pillboxes or other fortifications. I can purchase different kinds of um, of um, guns and also um, <laughs> other stuff. <laughs> Nothing illegal or anything. I hope. Yeah, I'm going to start to get the giggles here. So that okay. was so that was quite a, quite a feat trying to decide, you know, what to purchase and and what to put where. And um, again, one one thing I like about the, the game is that in doing the setup, I have to sort of cover all the bases because I don't know where Joe because the Japanese sets up first and then the Americans set up so after I'm done setting up I, I really don't know where the Americans obviously are going to come in I have uh -huh. some ideas of where I think they're going to come in but I have to plan for that and I don't know exactly where they're going to come in so I have to kind of cover all the bases and I only have a certain number of troops and I thought I distributed them really well and then after we actually got the game going I thought, oh my God, my uh, Red Beach Three is severely undermanned. Undermanned. Now, when did you play to get the game going? I'm sorry. Well, we actually got going on Monday. Okay, because I was there last Thursday and I right. saw the big setup. Right. And, and then that, no, nothing had moved yet. Right. Nothing had moved yet, <laughs> and in fact, I, I still hadn't had, had all my troops uh, deployed. Okay. So, um, so all the troops are deployed now, 
and I don't have enough coverage on uh, on Red Beach 3. Definitely don't. And as Joe has started making his move in, I, I can see. So I'm going to have to really kind of scramble, move guys around Pull, a little bit. Get those leaders, make the extra yeah. extra movement. Extra movement. I'm gonna, movement. Yep, I'm going to try to... Uh, Pull troops off of Black Beach because I know that there won't be any Marines coming on in Black Beach, so I can move those across the airfield, hopefully. And oh yeah, move quick back there. And there's a there's a a, a pre-game uh, bombardment that the Navy gets to do on the island, and um, I was really expecting something very different from what Joe did. He concentrated all four of his bombardments in the same area which was interesting. Uh -huh. I thought he would really spread it out, but he concentrated uh -huh. it all in the same area in hopes of not only uh, um, defeating a stronghold that I had, but also of breaking through the seawall, creating a breach in the seawall. And in the prior, um, the starter scenarios, if you want to call them that, uh -huh. for Blood Reef, um, he really ran into trouble with the seawall because... Um, there's yeah, a rule that you, with some DCs, I think. Yeah, the Marines the Marines have to take a plus four task check oh, that's right. uh, in order to get that. over the seawall, which is which is pretty tough. Yeah. I mean, Joe's got to roll elevens or twelves to get over the yeah, seawall. I played wall. those scenarios with Dave, Dave, other Dave, the other Dave, and uh, and if he doesn't make it over the seawall, then those then that group is pinned, mm -hmm. and uh, it was pretty treacherous. I mean, he he, he spent most of the most of his time being pinned. So he's really hoping his um, his OBA would would create a couple of breaches, and he did. In fact, he breached the seawall in two at two points. Okay, it worked. So he did that. He started to move in, but I have been really effective. I, I, I'm very scared at this huge wave of amphibious vehicles that's coming in, but I'm, I've been making very good use of the of the small but deadly um, 37 millimeter infantry guns. They're good against the uh, vehicles in the water. They're really good. They have a rate of fire of three. Oh right, that helps a lot. They've got. Um, they're. Oh. I like. I love them because they're portable. They have four portage points, so I can move them if I have to, and um, they're just. They're fantastic little weapons, and I have a lot of those. I I bought as many of those as were allowed by the scenario rules, okay. and spread those all around. So uh, we'll see how it goes. But we we've made a good start. We're we're probably. It's so funny. Uh, I got home and, and my wife said, uh, so how'd it go? I said, well, we finally got started and we're about, we spent three one. and a half hours. We're halfway through through Joe's part of turn one. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a big undertaking, but it's a it's really great. It, yeah. And I, I myself have never, well, I can't say never anymore. Uh, I, I resisted doing anything that huge for a long time. I like to do one-night games, be done with it, clean it up. I have many other game, games I play, as you know, miniatures, all kinds of things. Um, but my friend Matt, who moved to California, hey, Matt, um, got me to do a couple of uh, campaign ones. We did a conf group Piper, which was huge, too. And you know, Maybe I'll talk about that at a later date. So, Are you done? updating us? That's it. That's where we are for Blood Reef, so stay tuned, boys and girls. Next week, another exciting adventure. All right. Well, my recommended scenario tonight, favorite scenario, is called Flames of Unrest, and it's happening in the old town in Warsaw, Poland in 1944. And the Polish Home Army uprising had started already, and the Germans were moving in, and I'm bringing the map boards tonight, but um, I had played this with Bob, and it features a Polish Home Army 
of 10 337s, 5 527 squads, a 10 A2 leader, I always love those, an 8 0, of course, they always get killed by a sniper, don't they? Uh, 7 0, 3 LMGs, 2 DCs, and 4 roadblocks, and then some concealment counters. The assaulting Germans come on with um, 3 assault engineers, the 838s, 8 467s, eight, uh, 2 a 9 neg 1, an 8 neg 1, an 8 0, a 7 0. Uh, two flamethrowers, three DCs, two of those um, demolition charges on wheels. Oh yeah, yeah. Called. I, am I can't remember what those are called. Yeah, yeah. blanking out right here. Oh, the Goliaths. Yeah. Um, demolition charges remotely controlled on wheels. Very fun. And um, what year was this scenario? Uh, 1944. Okay. August. Uh, I think there's a Panther and there's two Sturm Tigers, those 380 millimeter gun, like short barrel, like m mortar things that just fire this 380 millimeter shell. Um, My God, that's huge. It is. And of course, the they run out of ammunition. It's got the low ammo of a 10 on it. So, <coughs> excuse me. But the really neat thing here is that the Partisans had taken flame. Um, I'm sorry, they took um, fire extinguishers and converted them into flamethrowers. So they have uh, sewer movement. They have Molotov use. Um, they have some hidden initial placement with them. They can fortify. Okay, and they can exit near the end game to um, save points. The Germans have to amass 44 victory points and not lose more than 23. And again, the partisans can exit. Um, so the Germans can't get all those points necessarily. And then the unpinned good order partisan multi-man counter potentially have an inherent support weapon flamethrower. And it's a, they do a flamethrower check and then they can fire this thing. It constitutes use of a support weapon. An original 11 or 12 results in the firer suffering a casualty reduction from this um, fire extinguisher converted into a flamethrower. Yeah, but they're not uh, all that reliable. Right, right. And they can get eight. They can't have more than eight of those attacks, so they roll for them. Hmm. I guess like Panzerfaust and stuff. So you never know when you're going to face one of these sudden flamethrower attack. Yeah. From. And there's a photo on the scenario and you can see the partisans marching with these canisters under their arms. There's like three under each arm all strapped together. So, and I don't know anything else more about this except Bob brought this over and said this sounded really fun. So we started off and, and he had the opportunity to have those hidden up front and I was pretty fearful coming on. But I sat on the half squads first, running in the open. No one shot at him. I thought, well that's odd. So I rolled everybody up and said, hmm, found a little odd, didn't put anyone up front. He goes, no, I didn't think that would work in this. So I rolled on into the city, moved through the first section, and then he, what he did very uh, cleverly was he put, spread out all those partisans across basically the, the, the back road there. Uh, you can imagine, you go through the first blocks of the city, and then there's this road that across. And he lined them all up across that road. So I hit this wall of partisans, and so of course you know you stop and do all the f firing. Um, the DCs, if I remember correctly, those remote ones. One of them I got in blew up a roadblock. 
Um, I think the other one I never quite got maneuvered into position. They're very hard to get into position. Um, he was firing off all these flamethrowers. I'm trying to cross the street, you know, and then you break. And then he's then he's taking those shots with those um, makeshift flamethrowers and things and Molotovs and and I was losing pretty strong. <laughs> Took a two two prong attack. We ended it in one night and kept it on board. Saved it for later. So mm -hmm. and I looked at it while I was gone and I was trying to calculate well. Can I win? Can I cut off those guys from escaping? I have to get so many points, right? Actually, the Germans um, also get exit victory points for Germans west of a canal. They have to move past a certain point. So you got a lot to think about. Do I try and circle these guys, catch them? They can go through the sewers. You move troops down on the right flank, try and cover the sewer openings, and don't let them exit that side of the board. I remember doing that. Um, and then just counting, do, gee, do I have enough points? Can I get across the river? There's still hidden guys out there, so then okay, I'm afraid of, but to, but to get the points across the river, i got to run across the open ground, you know, and he's going to mow me down. And so we continued the next night, I think, about one turn or two, and then that was it. It was all sewn up. Yeah. So, love to play it again. It's scenario J87 called Flames of Unrest with a couple of really unique um, special rules there to give it a really unique flavor. And I always hit up like the partisans. They have a nice spot in my heart for the partisans. Probably as I mentioned last week because we talked about a partisan scenario. It's one of my favorites then. So it's because you look good in a beret. Don't I look good in a beret? You do. With a bottle of French wine under my arm and yes. wearing a, a jacket and a big loaf of bread. Now, wh <laughs> where is this? Where, where does this scenario come from? J87. Do you know where your J's come from? Uh, Shame on you. No. Jeffrey. I'm going to fail this quiz. Name it for you. The Jeff 87 scenario. Yeah. Jeff 86, 85. Journal. Oh, okay. The journal. Well, that <coughs> sounds like a great game. Do you, do you like playing the sewers? Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. I always found that interesting. Um, you know, any of those things that had that flavor. I, I, a, I like to imagine a lot of those special things going on in the war. Yeah. So I know a lot of people like to bring up huge fire groups and just blast away at people and so on, but I like all that little flavor where you yeah, imagine I agree. guys climbing down you know, the the ladders into the sewers and yeah. and sneaking along and all that kind of stuff. So All right, and now it's time for What's in the box? box. In the box. box, box, box. That was very uh Did you like a, that? Yeah, very good effect. Low tech reverb. Well, now we'll get back to the uh, what I touched upon earlier, which was that the fact that last week was my birthday. Yes. Happy birthday, sir. Why, thank you. And um, my my wife uh, was she's great. She she God contacted Joe, who we have t we've already mentioned Joe, and you'll be hearing a lot about Joe. And one one yeah. day very soon we'll have Joe on the show. We hope you'll meet Joe. Yeah. So she contacted Joe and said, "What would make a great gift?" And doggone it, Joe gave her some good ideas. Now, I, I mentioned last time that I've only been playing Squad Leader for, I, I think I said three years. It's actually only two years that I've been playing. And at least half of that time that I was playing, I was n not awake. Um, and Joe was nice enough. I started with the starter kits, but Joe was nice enough to loan me his first edition rules. 
and I've been playing all this time on first edition rules, and I don't think it's really hindered me in any way. Do you, Dave? Not at all. I walk a little funny, but other than that, yes. I'm fine. But so for my birthday, my wife obtained for me from Multiman Publishing the second edition rule book, and I haven't opened it yet. It's actually still here uh, in its shrink wrap, so I'm going to open it right now, and we're going to talk about what's in the box. I hear it opening. This is uh, the sound of the official Multiman Publishing plastic. Actually, Jeff, the wastebasket behind you is on fire. I hear it. <laughs> Listen. You hear it burning? Again? You should flee. Flee the house, everyone. Yeah. That's my bacon uh, sizzling. All right. I'm glad I've got that off. Uh, it's a very nice binder. It's a little bit larger uh, format than a than a normal binder, which is great because a lot of people, including myself, like to put the uh, each individual page in uh, protector sleeves, which make it a little bit wider. So uh, this is yeah, this will my, accommodate that. My first rule book. Um, I was, unfortunately I was a smoker in those days, and uh, oh, the edges of those pages are yellowed oh. and still smell of that nicotine and and stuff. So page sheet protectors, everyone. Yeah, everybody, please. And stop smoking. Yes, yes, I have. So, so we have this uh, beautiful uh, orange binder, and uh, with some, I think they, this is new graphics. I think you said, David, certainly yeah. different from the first edition rules, but uh, even nice. different than your second edition rules. I like that they've kept the German guy in the circle, but they've added this kind of yeah ghostly image down below, um, transparent image of what are those U.S. People or what? Yeah, there's uh, U.S. and a couple of uh, uh, limey there on the right. Oh, different nationalities. Yeah. Oh. I mean, it's the multicultural yeah. second edition rule. <laughs> yes, it is. And then opening it, I'm revealing uh, the inside cover that I've come to know and love, which is uh, uh, illustrations of all the various counters and the uh, little indicators that show what all the the different numbers and things mean on the counters, which is really handy to have. And then in there, I'm, I'm going to open the binder now. Oh, yeah, love that. A nice package of uh, dividers, which are all of the various charts that come with the second edition rules, and I can't stress enough. Tell you what the problem was with the first issue of the second edition rules. One... Uh, what is it, a QDRC chart or something? Right. The, the chart that has all the charts you want miniaturized into one handy-dandy little... Right. Thing. QRDC, quick, quick, quick Ref reference... reference um, demolition charge. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> something. Only one. Now, come on, it's a two-player game. So, yeah, I, I dropped 16 bucks, I think it was, to mail order on another set of dividers just to get two copies, one for my opponent and one for me. That's nice of you. Spend too much money on Squad Leader. That's my motto. You can't. You can't. But it's certainly a lot cheaper than a lot of other hobbies that I've been yes. involved in. Yes. I think in. we talked about that last week. Yeah, we did. Per hour. It's really... Bang it, for the buck. It's cheaper than golf. It's cheaper than um, skydiving. It, it's cheaper than a lot of things. Now... You know, there's a couple of charts in here. I'm noticing right away there's a couple of charts here I, I haven't seen before and I didn't know were even included with this. One is the um, is the off-board artillery player aid, 
Very Sorry, good aid. A must, a definitely a must-have. I've tried reading through the offboard artillery rules without seeing the chart, and that was... Save you a lot of time. That um, was awful. There was an amateur version of that that I had used for years that I got off some one of the fanzines. I, I can't remember which one right now. And it was good also, but that is fantastic. And on the back side of that, and the green side, what, what is the... Uh, it's the nationalities uh, capabilities chart. Which okay. used to be on a, it's a separate, its own separate, uh, but now it's the backside of the offboard artillery player aid. And I don't know who came up with this, but I, that guy should win the Nobel Prize for for great graphics and an easy to read chart, and it just makes life so much easier. Yeah. Um, another one I haven't seen here is the uh, oh Overwind. my gosh, it... they've got a uh, incremental infantry fire table. Ah, uh, that's. That's significant. True. I do have it. I know I don't use it, but I have enough trouble memorizing the shortened charts, not the you know two IFT. Well, th this is why they give you the chart, Dave. You don't you don't have to <laughs> memorize it. <laughs> yeah, but I keep playing these people that have it memorized, and they scare me. Yeah, that is that is scary. But we don't know what they do in their spare time. We we can only suspect that they go home and here, honey, quiz me on the the IFT. Now, I think, and there also is a, um, what's on the back of that? That's on the back of the overrun. incremental fire table is the um, overrun flow chart. Also good. Very nice. Also good. A lot of various rules. You have to go searching through the rule book to find this stuff about, you know, when you can fire at a vehicle. Is it in your hex? Did it declare an overrun? Because apparently they're different, which, um, you know, looking at this chart very quickly, uh, you know, the vehicle enters the location. Here's a bunch of rules to check and, and, and bullet points. Are there concealed personnel? Check the terrain. Defensive first fire. Opportunities when it's not an overrun. Defensive fire options before the overrun. It's just it's really nice also. And, and if I can just uh, say again something I touched upon last time, which is that for those, if, if you are a new player or a as somebody who's considering playing squad leader, and if you are thinking you you can't play this game until you know the rules, don't let that stop you. No, um, I play. Uh, I'm still a neophyte. I don't know the rules, and I play with a guy that doesn't know all the rules, and we play anyway, and we have a great time. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we'll play something, and then we'll just push through it, and then later on we'll go during the week. Uh, we'll read the rules and find where we made a mistake or not, and it, it's no big deal. It's not a life-or-death situation. Get in there and play the game. If you're not sure of the rules with the person you're playing, just go ahead and keep playing, and then go back and check the rules later. In fact, this guy and I are, are working on Tarawa, which does Blood Reef, <laughs> which, is, which is quite a big undertaking, and um, I was very worried about it at first, but we're just going ahead and we're going to play it, and... We're having a great time so Damn far. Damn the torpedoes. Damn, that's right. Full, Full speed, speed ahead. Um, now, here's this is uh, something I haven't seen before. This is a very detailed uh, sequence of play. This is actually a four-page sequence of play that goes through each of the different phases and um, describes in quite a bit of detail uh, what each what is involved in each phase, things you should check for, and I've never seen anything go to this length. This is I, a, a 
beautiful I've, maroon. Have you I've, seen this? Yeah, oh yeah, and I've never ever used them. I, they're oh. just way too <laughs> int- intricate. To <laughs> I'm going to throw this out. away. But <laughs> no, I'll put no, this but now, of the bird cage. To tell you one thing, I was playing uh, Bob this last week, and I neglected to throw my smoke first. Now, had I looked at that chart, it would say clearly, you know, in the prep fire phase, the first thing you do is throw smoke with your tank. Ah, right. So I took my big machine gun, 16 down two shot, you know, 16 neg two, and failed. So I went to throw the smoke, and he's like, you know, normally I just let you, but, you know, you took the machine gun shot, and legally you got to throw the smoke first. I said, I absolutely know that. I always forget. Now, later on, when I was assaulting across the open road, I had pulled my t- smoke-throwing tank with a 9 or less, what is it, a Panzer, I don't know, six, five, uh, 4 or something? Um, one of the Panzer 4s. Uh, and uh, pulled the tank up right across the wall to throw smoke down that road before I did the final assault and forgot to throw the smoke entirely. Ah. <laughs> Started my assault across. <laughs> like, ah! Yeah. So, um, on this screen chart, by the way, uh, there's a Molotov cocktail chart, which is brand new. Wasn't oh. in the old uh, edition rules. The first edition rules, as well as a fire lane chart. So, ah, good. Good. So I have stuff you don't have, Dave. No, I have that. I have the second oh. edition rules. Darn, <laughs> Sorry, okay. friend. Okay, shoot me down. <laughs> Be a cold day in hell before yeah. you pass up <laughs> me. I'm gonna have to live to be 50 years older than you, in order to catch up with you, or 20, 25 uh, years older than you. So this, so this very detailed uh, sequence of play. Pretty much just for reading, and you you wouldn't keep this handy during the game. I would not, but but, but please uh, encourage okay. you to if it helps you. I've got a very colorful uh, next chart here, the scenario aid chart, which I have uh, from the previous version in black and white, but now it's in living color with um, with quite a bit of detail on it. I'll yep. have to look over that. Dave has seen that. He's waving me off. I've seen that. <laughs> That's not new. Uh, anyway, other other assorted charts, really some nice... The night rules? And, uh, uh, looks like, yes, night rules. <clears throat> right. There are rules here for... Uh, Poking counter, okay, and then various the rarity factor stuff for do-your-own scenarios. That's own. right. Uh, a couple charts we've seen before, like um, all of the... Um, to kill tables and uh, for ordnance, yeah, and vehicles. I don't think anything new is on those, but so and the other charts we've seen before. They do have so, a, but very. They also nice. have a great Panzerfaust chart somewhere in there on the new stuff. And all right, and then we've got the rules. All right, that's that has that we probably uh, everybody wake up now. We've, we're done with the charts. We're going on. <laughs> yeah, this, we may want to move to the next segment. Yeah, too, I think. we're going on to the rules. You're which, not going to go through the rules. Page I'm going to go through each page. I'm going to start with page, page one. Page one. Introduction to the second edition. Notice they now use the word and or instead of and. <laughs> on paragraph that's, three, that's line six. That's right. So this this whole rule <laughs> this whole rule book came in. Uh, in its own plastic, and don't don't be discouraged, people, when you get this. It's probably, how many pages do you think this is, Dave? Oh, 150? Yeah I, would, yeah, I would say. 150 to 200 pages of rules. And, yeah. uh, now, what's different in there, I can tell you, Jeff, is um, they have clarified the berserk rules to keep you moving in the same direction. 
So you'll have a hex grain you got to follow when you do a berserk charge. Ah, okay. Russians and uh, um, that helps clarify things up a little bit. So they, they have refined things, made it better. And I believe it's all larger print. Do you notice the difference for our aging eyes? Actually, it uh, looks the same to me, but I'll I'll do a careful comparison at the end of the show and let you know about that. Yeah, my well, my version was definitely larger print, I guarantee you. Because uh, now that we had to throw off the what page things are on, I got used to like turning six pages in and finding the rule, and then with the new the, you know, second edition, they were now oh, I a see. page or two later because it was bigger print. Okay. But maybe they went back in that one. I'll have to look at that later. Yeah. So there it is. That was uh, and that's what's in the box. That's what's in the box for today, and next week we'll have a new box with something else in it. And now we'd like to go to um, basic tactics for you starter kit players, and we thought we'd talk about use of leaders the in use? squad leader. Yeah. Jeff, what do you do with your leaders? <clears throat> do they lead from the front, or do they lead from the rear? I think I was reading a book of Face of Battle or uh, something by Keegan, military historian guy. Yeah, John Keegan. Yeah, talking about leadership, leading from the front, like Alexander the Great, who leaps over a wall at one of those assaults on Tyre or Tyr in the ancient days, and his men come leaping over after him to go save his rear end. Ah. And that was like the extreme of leading from the front, Alexander the Great, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and then you have a guy like Grant, General Grant, who wasn't in the front lines, you know, leading the charge, uh, yet led from the rear, yet was respected, you know, and for the most part, or was he made a case that he was a great general. Um, so in squad leader, would you put your leader in the front line where he's directing fire? Because when you direct fire, you use the negative modifiers of the leaders to help the troops to fire better. They also add a morale bonus to right. the squads they're stacked with. That's right. Right? They keep your squads from cowering oh. if you would happen to roll doubles. Right. Which would be reduce their firepower, so they keep it right. at full firepower. Right. That is correct. And is that about it in the front line? That's, I think that's about it. And I, I tell you, in general, the way I've been playing, and I've never talked about this strategy with anybody, so I don't know. But if a leader has a negative modifier, I will put him... I'll put the troops so that he can direct fire, especially with machine guns and things like that. And then those leaders that do not have modifiers, have a zero modifier, or even, I will uh, often keep those uh, leaders more toward the back, in, uh, especially in areas where the troops can route, so that when they are broken, they can route back to the leader and the leader can help them rally. Even though they don't have, uh, even though the leader doesn't have a modifier to aid in the rally, just the fact that there's a leader there and they do have the opportunity to rally. Yeah, but so that's usually how I lay them out, and that's I, I'm pretty much the same way. Um, you know, again, this is basic tactics. We won't get into a lot right. of detailed things with it, but when it is, I'm a sucker for that uh, machine gun nest. You know, the German heavy seven and the medium at five firepower gives you a twelve shot um, with that neg two leader or whatever. You know, oh, I'm yeah. always tempted to do that, but if you think about it, um, that neg two leader in the back. It, it may be more valuable getting those troops back to the front line quickly. Because in squad leader, they break, they fall back, they're they're worthless until they rally up. I mean, they right. can just be routed right off the board right. um, at that point. And, you know, you think about it, Americans rally on an 8, mostly. Mm -hmm. And SS on a 9, is mm -hmm. that right? German SS? I think that's right, Back yeah. of the counter's a yeah. 9. Throw a, a neg 2 leader on that and... 
an extra um, benefit of one for being in a house. Yeah, you can't miss. Right, woods. Yeah. That makes it very, very potent. They yeah. route back the next round. They're rallied up. And if it's your opponent's turn, you don't have a chance to move back into position. But if you can hold them off another half a turn, you're back up there in position where you were. So. Right. So there's no uh, there's no hard and fast rule, really, for for leader placement, which which actually I like. It's one of the things I like about the game. Because you can play it, there's. I like the fact that there is very few hard and fast rules. It's going to change with different situations, different scenarios, how and how you're going to go about attacking or defending as to where you want to place these leaders. Because there'll definitely be times when you want to have them up in front, directing fire, and uh, other times when you want to keep them hanging back. And and and. Of course, if you're moving with a leader, moving. if you're moving a squad with a leader, you get uh, extra movement points with them without having to, without even having to go CX. So. Right, right. So sometimes it's nice to keep a reserve stack of three or two squads in the back of the front line, and then you know leader with them, so he can quickly switch left, quickly move right, depending on the attack avenues of your opponent. Um, and I think leaders also, even in basics, a starter kit, right? At, well. They can reduce, uh, help carry heavy machine guns that are above three portage points. They right. Help carry a portage point with a squad and help it to also move quicker. So keep that in mind, beginner players. And now we'll take a look at some advanced tactics. Yes. What are we covering this week for advanced tactics? Hidden initial placement. Ah, this is a good one. What is hidden initial placement, Jeff? It gives you uh, the ability to actually not have your counters on the board at all. You keep them recorded on a piece of paper or a, t a stone tablet or whatever you might, an etch-a-sketch, whatever you might have <laughs> close by, uh, and you keep them recorded and you only expose them then when under various situations, which Dave will tell us about. Well, um, yeah, it's nice to have a separate board. If you have a double set of boards, um, you can always set up your hiddens on the side. The danger with hidden initial placement, if you're playing the Japanese and you get all those pillboxes and you're doing Tarawa, all those hidden pillboxes, tunnels, squads, um, I just plain forget where they are. And players will move right through where I was. And I forget to fire and they go right by me as a horrendous. So I, I look, and especially in a specific scenario with the Japanese, I like to have a setup on the side if I have dub, duplicate boards. Yeah. Um, but using hidden initial placement, I guess initially, you know, you look for avenues where your enemy may come, and then you can pop out and take a shot at them as they're moving through the open ground at minuses and negs, right? It gives you great benefit, and you want to catch them by surprise. So I think that was the first thing I thought about doing with my hidden squads. Um, I like this part of the game because it adds a really a level of realism because as as omniscient, you know, each player is usually taking yeah. a, a role of an omniscient overseer and the fact that you can you can see where the other troops are at all times is you know, kind of removes some of the realism and this hidden initial placement really adds the realism to me because and we played we played a great scenario last week Dave you and I from Partisan uh, where all of your partisan troops were were hip. Oh yeah, and I had to move across the board and find them all, and I I found that really exciting. 
And what technique did you use to try and come up with those squads? Well, I used, um, what I did was I deployed a lot of my squads into half squads so that I had a, a large number of counters, and I just swept across the board um, looking for some obvious places where I thought you might be hiding using a tactic called searching, uh, which is a matter of Rolling a die. Uh, rolling the die, and then That's you can... the number of hexes you... You can test for the presence of enemy troops. Gene, you can come up with the um, enemy troops. You stop in a hex, you expend one movement point, um, get a bonus for... Well, we're going to look up the chart and let you know. While Jeff's looking at the chart, we'll come back to that. Um, actually, talk about that scenario we played. It was the one, it was my favorite one, Sylvan Death from last episode. We... Jeff and I went ahead and played it last week or two weeks ago. Very fun. And um, I think it was uh, Jeff was doing a great job of playing it. My, I think my gun broke. There's one anti-tank gun you, you're trying to hold on to. He came up to the trench lines. He searched thoroughly. He came up with everybody. I had, had a couple hidden guys he never came across. He went, you know, well, like one hex away, which was, I was amazed. Wow, he's not coming next to me. When he did, the shots of the partisans are so small. Their firepower is so little, it's hard to get an effect. I think the Germans were all eight morale factors. And um, he was doing real well. And then I knew I had to start withdrawing, because another option for the partisans was to exit the board. So I started pulling all these partisans out, stacking with those leaders. We we're just talking about leader usage to move quickly through the woods. Um, I was getting toward the board edge to get off just enough troops and um, he even sent a half squad around my flank in the open ground to try and get behind me. I'm like, that's suicide. So I took a shot at the Negs. He made it. He got behind me. I'm like, I can't pay off. It's too risky for, you know. Of course, it's squad leader, so it did pay off. But then, you know, um, his return shot at me when I started moving off. came up nothing because it was too small a firepower. And I exited the points I needed to win at the end there. Uh, that's how that went. And, uh, searching chart, did you find that? Yeah, I found the searching chart. So um, you make a single die roll, and that gives you, the result on that gives you the number of hexes which you cannot search. Cannot search, right. Right. So the other ones get searched, and if there uh -huh. are troops there, they get exposed. And then there are some die roll modifiers. modifiers. Yeah, if you're um, searching for units that are uh, stealthy, uh, there's a... Um, Negative one modifier. There's a you can apply the leadership modifier for the best leader that's in the in the hex that's doing the searching. And CX. Uh, CX is a plus one mm -hmm. if the searching unit is CX or if they are lax. And All then right. versus versus Japanese, there's a plus two. Harder to find the Japanese. Much harder to find the Japanese because they're shorter, I guess, smaller. <laughs> no. Please, no racial stereotypes. That's not a racial stereotype. I think that's probably uh, a bit of a fact, I yeah. suppose, if you took the average. and um, So then, usage for hidden initial placement. I think one of the later games I played, I remember playing a friend named Chris, and uh, he had to find, or he had to um, control certain hexes, and it was the Japanese. And, um, of course, I took a hidden guy and put it next to the objective he had to control. So he controlled the objective, and then he moved on through. Ah, very course, clever. The cheesy way to win, but yeah. nothing's too cheesy for me. So he passed on through that hex. Last turn of the game, I pop out, 
from my hidden placement into the building. You know, he gives me that shock look. And did you have some confidence that he would not uh, enter that hex? Because I mean, one one thing we talked about was you can search in order to find HIP units, HIP units, but you can also just by if you if I try to enter a hex or a location that you are in. I'm going to expose those units. Right. So when the opponent moves into the hex where your units are are hidden, they get placed on board underneath the concealment counter, right? Right. And your opponent is pushed out. And then I get I have to move back to, right. the, to where I'm Traditionally, I moved now when you're playing the Japanese, you've got the ability to actually stay concealed while they move through your hex, I think unless they search. And even if they search, they have that modifier we just talked about. Is that about. only in the jungle, do you think? Or is uh, that I don't remember. Okay. We'll have to check It would make out. sense to me if it was jungle. But yeah, I, I think, think it's, it's jungle. I think it's any. But we'll double check that for you, listeners. And um, so, yeah, that becomes really great tactic because yeah. that introduces another option to use with the hidden initial placement guys, which is to let the Americans move through them, or the British, right, Australians move through the Japanese hidden, then you pop out in front of those enemy units that pass through you with your normal units that were there concealed or, or, or um, regularly revealed, open up fire, any guys you break have to rout, then it's a great time to reveal that hidden guy, Ah, yes. and now he's eliminated for failure to rout, I can't rout. Yeah. or, you know, you end up, sometimes... That doesn't work for me, so I remember having a hidden guy ah, three hexes away, and the Americans routed three hexes a different direction than I hoped they would go. So I, had, you know, but I popped out in that next turn, ran through the woods, came right next to him, DM'd them all again, put that plus four counter, makes it very hard to rally, and you could chase those guys out right off the board. Now here's a hint too for you: you may not always want to shoot at them when they're broken, because it can happen where they rally. I remember playing a game to take a trench line, moved up next to my opponent. He was already broken in the trench line. I thought I'd add insult to injury. Opened fire. He rolled snake eyes. Heat of battle. Ah. Rallied. And he held that last piece of the trench. Oh, wow. So I learned really well that day, don't always fire at those broken units. Yeah. It might be better to leave them broken, DM them, make them route another turn to get further away. Yeah. Very good. Good advice. So that's some uses for hidden guys. Now, sometimes revealing your hidden guys, is that always the best thing to do? Is there a benefit to keeping them hidden during most of the game? I would say there's that there, I would keep them hidden. Because your enemy then is afraid of moving through open spaces. Exactly. And sometimes that's more beneficial. It slows them down. They don't want to move into open ground, uh, so they'll go through the woods. Right there, you, you may slow them down enough to win the game. Is another yeah. thing to think about. Um, I don't think we're even going to talk about hidden guns or anything on this no. episode. Just yeah. infantry squads. Usually you can put a leader. It often says, uh, with, with a leader or any um, weapon, support weapon or leader that stacks with them also. So... You know, uh, often a good place to look for to be an, an average fire lane when you can pop out as they think they're going to be crossing the street in a very important turn, and suddenly that machine gun pops out where they didn't know it was, and they realize they have to all run through the fire lane. 
Yeah. You know, and I'll take shots as they go across. Um, what else with leader are hidden? Sometimes uh, upper levels of buildings. Uh, when they have to control a building, Very they may good, move yeah. through the ground level, and if it's on an upper level, your opponents don't search the building or mop up, I think, um, to, then it would reveal them. And then you can even cause casualties, I believe, search casualties. And uh, so, yeah, sometimes they'll move through the bottom level of, of a building in a hurry to, f to get the extra hexes they need to control. Right. And you pop up in an upper level, not just adjacent and move in, but you've been there the whole time and don't even have to move. So that's another hidden... So search all those, search every room in those buildings, boys and girls. Yeah, if your opponent has that hidden unit out there and you have to control something, yeah. that adds a real threat. Yeah. All right, good. And, and if people have uh, favorite uh, hip tactics that they'd like to share with us, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email. Yes, indeed. Call us or, and again, the candy gram. Mm-hmm, yep. All right, next we're going to do a little history report. Dave has prepared for us um, something from, torn from the pages of a history book at his local library. And they're probably looking for you right now. <laughs> they don't check those books when you turn them back in. Come on. Um, I teach uh, junior high and in our textbook. In the World War II section, they... Uh, mentioned a guy named Guy Gabaldon. Now, probably a lot of our listeners have heard of him. We've done some kind of, kind of reading, but I had not heard about him, and I had done a lot of reading about World War II. Um, and he talked about him capturing a ton of prisoners, you know. Um, 801 fell swoop of Japanese prisoners. Wow. Now, does that sound strange to you? That sounds very strange. I'd like to know how he did it. Sounds like the Sergeant York of World War II. That's about right. So, um, so we, I thought, well, I'll look this guy up online and see what I find. And so, for a couple of years, we, I had added to what the textbook had said by talking about what Guy had done, um, in, in which I found out that he was in the Marine Corps. <coughs> Excuse me. He. Um, was a bit of a lone wolf, liked to go out on his own sometimes, and he found that he could come up to a Japanese physician, and he spoke a bit of, like, um, they refer to it as street Japanese. Uh, I guess he was raised with a Japanese family in California, uh, lower-income neighborhoods. His family actually went off to the uh, camps. Hmm. You're familiar with the, the camps? Internment camps. Internment mm -hmm. camps. And... Uh, he had joined up for the Marines later on when he was old enough to do so. And so he would use this Japanese language to say, basically, you know, you're surrounded. I don't want to kill you. Give yourselves up. And, and he had gotten some prisoners to surrender. Um, eventually, 800 did surrender on July 7th, 1944. Um, and as you know, at the Battle of Tarawa, there were only 146 prisoners from 5,000 Japanese defenders right. on Tarawa. Only 146 prisoners. So his feats become especially 
amazing taken in, in lieu of that. Um, there's an interview included that he had done with Wartime's Journal that you can find and, and that he talks about his opinion of the Japanese is actually that they weren't that good as soldiers. I mean, I talk about how great they were and so on. And they were fanatical, but he didn't find them particularly intelligent. Um, he thought they were sometimes sloppy, easy to sneak up on, you know, various things like that. He points out that they lost every battle they fought against the Marines. Mm -hmm. Guadalcanal, the Marshals, Iwo, Okinawa, Tarawa, okay. Um, and so he had learned to approach these caves, come back with some prisoners by saying, you know, we'll treat you nicely, don't, you know, you know, don't fight us, we're going to wipe you out if you do, you're outnumbered, and so on. And had brought back again his ultimate achievement was 800 soldiers on that particular one date. Um, some statistics on Guy. I did a little more research online today, and I discovered that he appeared in 1957 on This Is Your Life. So this is your oh, life. This is your life. Some okay. other host where they bring you out, and people had, you know, the Marines knew what he had done, but it, you know, it was uh, a lot of people doubted it. Oh, come on, it couldn't happen. The Japanese don't surrender, and so on. And um, he was wounded in combat. He got the Navy Cross. He got the Silver Star. He got the Purple Heart for his wound. The Silver Star for his activities. So a lot of people thought it should have been more than that. There is a book that he wrote then in his retirement called Saipan, Suicide Island. Um, he got the Chesty Polar Award. He got many awards. He was recognized by many communities. Um, there was a film, I, I hate to say, squad leader listeners, that I didn't know this. A film called Hell to Eternity. I had heard of the movie from Hell, Hell to Eternity. Mm. This life story of World War II Marine Guy Gabaldon. So oh, I, he has a whole movie out. So that's our homework, I Jeff. I did not know that. To, oh. You know, he's portrayed by Jeffrey Hunter in the film. Stars David Jansen. Um, and so, yeah, that's going to be my homework is to watch that movie. Yeah. And find out some more about Let's him. Pull so that up on Netflix and uh, order it up. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I just saw this guy in my textbook and thought I never heard of him. He kind of appeared in the, um, you know, politically correct. The textbooks have a minority section. What. You know how blacks can African Americans contribute to the war, mm -hmm. how Mexican Americans face discrimination, yeah. suits and all that, the riots and so on. And then he appeared there as one of the heroes. He's a Chicano um, person that lived with a Japanese family. Yeah, who's not actually Japanese at all. Um, Very interesting. And then there's a memorial form I came across here, December 9th, 2006. The Hispanic American Veterans Association, City of Montebello, hosts a memorial ceremony in honor of. Guy Gabaldon, Gabaldon, I'm sorry, um, U.S. Marine hero that was held upon his death. And unfortunately, he has many other of our veterans has passed away since then. Um, they call him the Pied Piper because when he got these 800 prisoners, you know, he came walking with them back and the other Marines appeared on the ridge and saw him down there. And he got the name of uh, Pied Piper. Uh, died in Florida, born in California. In the Marine Corps, 1943 to 1945, Private First Class with the 2nd Marine Regiment. Okay, and he was also on, in the interview, I, I remember reading here, um, that I think total he had captured 1,500 enemy. I read 1,000 on another source. Most sources say it was 1,500 total 
you know, a little small group of 50, and so on and so on. Um, but he did talk about being on, what was it, were the Okinawa, when the Japanese civilians were throwing themselves into the ocean, committing suicide. Are you familiar with that? No. Oh, you'll have to look into that, Jeff. It's a really horrifying thing. They were told that the Americans would eat their children, and they're th actually throwing their, their children off the cliff. Oh, my God. And he approached them. He, he cried out, you know, we must stop in, in Japanese. They didn't stop. Um, as he and his fellow soldier marine would step forward to go closer. We're going to run in there and save them. Uh, more of them would leap off in a panic. He said, we have to stop here and try try again talking to these people and convince them not to do this. Um, horrible thing. I have footage of it that, that I do show in, in class. Um, a little brief snippet, and the kids are always quite shocked and amazed how all these civilians hurling themselves to their to their deaths to avoid the evil Americans, you know, who are gonna, you know, eat them and butcher their bodies and so forth. Yeah. And and in his ending story in one of his interviews he talks about how um one woman had thrown her child off and then was grabbed and stopped from leaping herself. And within days I I think she had gone insane. Yeah, understandable. Lost, lost her mind um, from the concept she realized the Americans weren't going to harm her children. So, again, that illustrates the horror war. And, of course, we do love the game of squad leader, but um, we know war is not ever a, a very nice thing. And we do want to take some time, though, right, to honor some of these guys. So maybe in the future episodes yeah, we'll that's do some research for you on... Uh, metal winners. Appreciate uh, you bringing that in. That's very interesting. Well, uh, I'll look forward to seeing that movie and hearing more about this guy. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we can watch that together yeah. sometime. Ooh, it's possible. So, boy, hate to end on such a sad note with Okinawa. Yeah. Um, <laughs> maybe we'll edit this episode and put something funny at the <laughs> end, something more uplifting. But uh, but anyway, that wraps it up for this week. Thanks for being with us. We had a great time. Um, I had a great time. And we'd like to say, um, roll low, and may the dice be with you. But, but not, not when you're, you're playing, playing us. us. Thanks for being with us, everybody. Thanks for being with us. <laughs> <laughs>